Welcome back, ladies and gents, to another episode of the Josh Carr Show. Today we'll be talking about what the heck is happening in France with the riots and all the violence going on, as well as where are we sitting with reparations in America and how the French riots may be affecting that. As always, the title sponsor for this episode is Gulag America. As you might be noticing, I have a new shirt on. This is Gulag America's shirt. You can see the logo on the side right there. This is one of my favorites. I wore it for my Hispanic, Spanish-speaking friends who might be listening to this podcast. It says, mis pronombres son marido, padre, and héroe. Sorry, I'm reading it backwards right now. Um, or my pronouns are husband, father, and hero. By the way, I'm not a father yet, so this isn't like some crazy announcement. Don't think that that's a thing yet. Just preparing for it, because uh, that's one of the more important things that you could identify as. In any case... These are, this is one of my favorite shirts. It looks very good, very sleek, if I do say so myself. Uh, so go check them out. A little bit more from them later. Now, talking about what is going on in France right now, if you haven't heard, crap is hitting the fan. Uh, essentially, last week, there was a shooting in France between a 17-year-old boy and a police officer, and that 17-year-old boy was killed. Unfortunately, and... I think part of the reason might be on the French government and what's going on with investigations. But for whatever reason, we don't have a ton of details about this at the moment. More details will probably follow. But I thought it was prudent to talk about it today because it's been uh, over a week. And so and it's not really being talked about as much in the United States media, even though it has a huge effect on what's going on here uh, and on the world stage. This is essentially the George Floyd of France. Uh, if you didn't know, George Floyd was the guy who was killed um, and kind of started the Black Lives Matter um, movement. He didn't start it, but people started it after he was killed uh, or overdosed, depending on the story you believe in. I personally believe he died because of fentanyl overdose, but regardless, he died and it started the Black Lives Matter. According to NPR, his name was Nahel. Uh, NPR report saying Nahel was driving a yellow Mercedes when he was shot at close range during a police stop near Nelson Mandela Square around 8 a.m. Tuesday, according to their mayor. Footage from several vantage points shows that despite early claims that two police officers were in grave danger when one of them opened fire, the pair were standing next to the driver window. So pause really quick. These Nahel was pulled over by some cops. NPR later says, with an officer pointing a gun inside before the car began to move past them. Quote, you are going to get a bullet in the head, a voice is heard saying, according to France 24 news outlet, as the car moves forward, a single shot is heard. Nahel died at the scene. His car rolled forward, coming to a stop after hitting a utility pole. Two other people, again, this is still according to NPR, two other people were in the car with Nahel. One has spoken to the police, but the other fled the scene and was being sought by law enforcement as of this article, which was posted on July 1st. So again, this this story is broken for quite a while. It's almost been out for two weeks, but it just hasn't been talked about a lot in the mainstream media. So I wanted to talk about it today and really what it means. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to make a claim in this podcast in the show today, whether or not the police did the right thing or the wrong thing. It seems to me that there are not enough details out there about this particular case. What's clear is that the police shot in the hell uh, and it seems that it was unprovoked as of now. We don't know if it was racially um, charged. We don't really know the motivation behind it. Again, I, I don't know why. Like, it doesn't take very long for the United States to come out with these sort of things. 
And so I'm not quite sure why they haven't, uh, why, the, why France hasn't come out with more information. Uh, a little bit of context, though. This is why pe I want to explain why people are up in arms about this. Not that this isn't a horrible event on its own, but things like this happen in the world. Police officers can do bad things or 17-year-old boys can do bad things, depending on whose fault this was. But the reason why this is particularly touchy subject and touchy field is that this was a Muslim and there's been a lot of contention in France right now over immigration policy. If you didn't know, France has more Muslims in it than any European country. Just to break down those numbers for you a little bit, 5.7 million Muslims are in France. In the United States, there are only 3.5 million Muslims, and the United States' population is far greater than France's. So just putting that into context, the they are a great, they're a huge minority in France. I, I mean, I think they're comparable to like Hispanics here in the United States, probably the biggest minority in France. When there's big minorities, obviously there can be racial contention or uh, religious contention in this case. Um, the thing that kind of is annoying is that people are jumping to conclusion and like when something bad happens and you're not sure about the facts, usually what you do is you wait for the facts or maybe you say something rash on social media or you do something rash verbally. But no, the people in France, mostly young people, these were teenagers his age as well as young adults, decided instead that they were going to go out and burn and loot and destroy that city, uh, which is really interesting, especially considering they don't really know the whole story. So the reason why I say this is a lot like Black Lives Matter George Floyd is because he died and immediately chaos ensued. They literally have the military in Paris trying to quash this almost like rebellion um, we see that they are doing similar things to what happened in Minneapolis where George Floyd was killed. Uh, school buses, um, schools, as well as government buildings are being targeted, which is like really crazy. Like why? Like, okay, you want to bring justice to a 17 year old boy who, in your opinion, was unjustly killed. Why is the solution to go to the buses where a mom and her kids or the old lady is riding the bus and throwing a brick through it and it hits them like how is that justice to the 17 year old going to government buildings that might have nothing to do with the police officer that did that how like just on a logical level how does that fulfill your purpose and so these people are not seeking justice they're vigilantes and they're not vigilantes that are even seeking a just outcome they literally just want chaos in france and it's gotten to the point where like i said the military and the national guard in france has gotten involved and it's like a full-out war zone in Paris right now. Um, one side note about this that I find very ironic is that the left, um, the, the people who are always affected by these things, bringing it back to the United States level during Black Lives Matter, the people who are always affected are the people that the left claim to protect. So who is that? It's inner city minorities, people who are less fortunate, people who might need social welfare. The ironic thing about this is when these protests happen over racial conflict, it's always done by the left and it always hurts the minorities that they purport to help. So an example in Minneapolis, do you think it was the rich billionaire, like the white rich billionaire that they were looting? No, it was the black store owner in downtown Minneapolis. Do you think that it was the elitist police officer chief that they went and threw a brick through his car window? 
No, it was the random dad who also was black, just commuting from work. And so it actually makes zero sense. They're literally fighting themselves. And it's really contradictory to their purpose as well as um, what they stand for. And I think we're seeing every time that this happens, there's a resurgence on the on the right where a lot of these people who are affected poorly by these vigilante groups go more conservative because they're like, if people aren't going to protect our cities, then we got to leave. Like they're not going to stay in Minneapolis if their store is getting looted. They're going to go to a conservative city and vote Republican if it means that their small business can be saved. Um, and this really is virtue signaling on the biggest scale. Virtue signaling is essentially when you're showing everyone around you, look how great I am. Look what I believe. Look at all these, you know, great things. It's, it's when you put the little black flag on your Instagram. So people know that you're not racist. It doesn't actually mean anything. You didn't actually help anyone. You didn't give charity. Instead, you just put a little black flag to show everyone that you had virtue. That's what virtue signaling is. But this is virtue signaling on steroids. It's actually doing, like, I, I actually, in a way, I almost give them credit. At least they did something about it. But the thing that they did was absolutely despicable. Instead of just putting the black flag or a rainbow flag on their Instagram, they went out and threw a brick through a school window. They could have hit a random high school kid or a teacher that supports those high school kids and had nothing to do with a 17-year-old boy being shot. And the only reason why they did it was to show everyone around them that they support Nahel, which I get it. Like, I'm happy that you support someone who is unjustly murdered, but throwing a brick through a window, lighting a fire on a school bus is not the way to do it. Uh, and it's contra it, it's really counterproductive to their movement. Here's what bugs me, though. People can be dumb. Mob mentality and mob rage is really dangerous. It's really common. The UN said pretty much the dumbest thing that you could imagine this week about it. The UN comes out and says a lot of things about these kind of when, when riots or protests get really big. It makes sense in this instance um, that the UN would come out with a statement, but they literally said the dumbest thing imaginable and it kills me. I'm going to read it for everyone. This is what I said. Quote, they said, this is a moment for the country, France, to seriously address the deep issues of racism and racial discrimination in law enforcement. In other words, they're saying, hey, all these people who are destroying Paris, this is a really good opportunity. It's a great moment for you guys to listen to them, these crazy people. You really ought to listen to them. There's some seriously, it's like, hold up, hold up. Let me get this straight. You're saying one bad police officer, and we don't even know the, we're just assuming at this point that the police officer had bad intentions. We don't even know that much about the incident, but let's assume that it was bad, okay? You're talking about one police officer that did one really bad act. And then you're talking about hundreds and thousands of people who have done horrible acts to totally innocent people. And you're saying we should listen to that. How does that make any sense? That is just as bad as if you said, hey, we really ought to listen to that police officer. You might have had something there with killing that 17-year-old boy. That's the exact thing that they're saying. They're saying we need to justify and listen to people who are doing evil things in society. The dumbest thing that the UN could have said, because all that does is it incentivizes these gross vigilante groups like BLM and what's going on in France to continue to ransack innocent people in the inner cities. For all of the talk of liberals being charitable and nice and helping the little guy, this sure does not help them at all. 
This is like the worst thing that you could do. If you've got an immigrant who comes to France is a Muslim immigrant, like think about all the Muslims that are affected by this. I can just think of there's a guy, he comes um, from Sudan. He's Muslim. He's in France. He's happy to be there because it's a little more democratic. I say that tongue in cheek because France is near a dictatorship at this point. But they're a little more democratic than Sudan. They go there and he decides to start a small business because immigrants tend to be very entrepreneurial. He's in an inner city. He hears about someone in his community that gets murdered. Obviously very sad about this. And then randomly, the kids from his community come and throw a brick through a store. And the next door to him is on fire. And he's terrified that his store is going to catch on fire. How did those people help that Muslim at all? It makes zero sense. It's very upsetting. And I really hope that the media and others will step up and talk about how unjust it is for people to have this outrage of violence whenever one bad thing happens. Also, if you talk about violence that's happening in France, again, I'm not saying that I want that 17-year-old boy to die, but the fact that one police officer killed one boy and then we have thousands of people ransacking the streets, that is a way bigger sin than one police officer. And the fact that they could justify it through one heinous act uh, is pretty despicable. Um, I just don't believe, I guess my central thesis with this, I just don't believe that we should take violent people seriously. I think it's important to understand like why they're doing it. It's okay to study them and, and understand it. It's not a call to action. We don't negotiate with terrorists, right? That's kind of the classic phrase. They are by all, by all metrics, terrorists. They are trying to instill terror in society so that they will somehow get some nebulous rights uh, that they haven't even proclaimed on their own. I don't believe that we should negotiate with terrorists. I mean, just like just an, an example of this, it's very clear in society. If you have a toddler and he's acting out and he just has a crazy tan temper tantrum, you don't go up to him and ask him, hey, hey, buddy, you're freaking out. Um, like, tell me about it. Like, how can I? It's like, no, he spilled his milk and he's freaking out. You don't listen to him. You calm him down. You clean up the spilled milk. You don't let him parent you all of a sudden. It's the same thing in this situation. Uh, the media need to talk about this more. That's why I'm talking about it. Uh, now, now you know about it. If you didn't know about it. Uh, but really quick, talking about how this goes into racial tensions in the United States, I want to talk really quick about the title sponsor of this podcast, gulagamerica.com. Here's the deal, guys. I'm very passionate about the United States not becoming like France. I don't want them to be like France. I don't want them to be like Europe. They have so many problems. Gulags, that's a big problem. Um, that's why I partnered with Gulag America. Gulag America can hook you up with high quality apparel and clothing. Founded by an army and reserve veteran, Gulag America has t-shirts, long sleeves, and hoodies that are great for both men and women. Here's a question for you regarding France and Russia. Do you even know what a gulag is? I recently had a conversation with some family. None of them knew what it is. Often the term gulag refers to literal slave encampments in Russia. But as I've talked about on this podcast, there are gulags that are not necessarily physical, but the media, the military industrial complex that are gulags and that are imprisoning us here in America. 
I'm talking about these every day so that we can fight them. So is Gulag America for a limited time. If you use my code JoshCar10, you will get 10% off at gulagamerica.com. Again, that's JoshCar10 for 10% off at gulagamerica.com. It is the warning, not the wish, so that we can fight them and keep America free. Again, link in the description down below, America, gulagamerica, excuse me, .com. Now, I want to talk about how these racial tensions in France kind of spill over to America. As people have talked about what's going on in France and the injustices in within the Islam community, they have talked about what is going on with the black and African-American community in America. This has brought up, again, pretty much the most frustrating and the worst conversation in the world, which is the question of reparations. Now, I haven't talked about reparations on this channel before, but probably out of everything I've ever talked about on this channel, reparations is the dumbest idea that exists. I'm going to talk about it, and I'm, I'm happy to defend it. If you disagree, go in the comments. I'd be happy to defend it. Reparations is just such a stu stupid, idiotic concept. I can't even believe that there are people on the left. I can believe that there's like 2% of people on the left, but the fact that there's a big push for this, especially in San Francisco, which I'm going to talk about today, it is beyond me. And I don't understand how they believe it's a winning issue, especially when there's a lot of evidence that a large portion of African-Americans don't even support it. Now, the leading reparations plan is in San Francisco right now. Let me lay out for you what San Francisco wants to do with reparations. I'm just going to read it off. It's got like four components to it, okay? So basically what a reparation is, is it sounds like the word repair. If you didn't know, a reparation is to simply give money back to a disenfranchised group because of an atrocity that happened in the past. So reparations were talked about during the Holocaust. Uh, giving, organizing Israel and giving it to the Jews was in many ways uh, a form of reparation. Okay. Now, in the San Francisco, so they're, what they're calling for is a reparation for African Americans in, in California. One thing I didn't even write in my notes, which is really crazy, is that California never even practiced slavery. They were always a free state. So I don't know what they're trying to like repair. I guess they're speaking for the rest of the United States that was involved in slavery. But in any case, this is what they're calling for just in the state or excuse me, just in the city of San Francisco. Every black citizen over the age of 18 would get $5 million up front, $5 million, a guaranteed salary of $96,000 a year for 250 years, okay? So for as long as the country has existed, they're going to give $96,000 every year to black citizens and, and their posterity in San Francisco. Housing must be guaranteed to each African-American for $1. I don't know what that mortgage would look like. And it would eliminate personal debt. Okay, so credit card debt, done. I assume that would also include student loans. So they're eliminating debt. They're giving free housing, five mil, and a guarantee $96,000. That's like crazy. That's like winning the lottery. Like you can't even go on a game show and win something like that. Like, that's insane. And they're promising that to every African-American. The Hill wrote, I, I really love this. The Hill wrote this. 
to paraphrase, to paraphrase Margaret Thatcher, the Democrats eventually will run out of other people's money. I really love that. Like they're going to run out of money. That is an obscene amount of money to give away. Um, there isn't enough income in California to pay for these reparations. And so they floated different ideas of taxation in order to get it done. They could, like there's a world in which they could tax it and get it done. I'm not saying that this is like completely impossible, but I want to talk about right now why reparations are so ridiculous. Now that we have on the table what they're trying to do in San Francisco, let me lay out a few reasons why reparations do not make any sense whatsoever. The idea that I have a responsibility for the actions of my ancestors is completely ridiculous. I don't understand, like, how would they justify that? I don't understand how they, anyone can suddenly be responsible for the actions of someone else. Especially when you're thinking about it in a reverse way. There's a little bit of an argument to be said that someone has a responsibility for the actions of their posterity. Now, I don't even fully believe that still. But in a way, it's like, if there's trouble, children... Sometimes you can look at the parents and be like, yeah, you know, the parents didn't do a great job, okay? But they're talking about it in the reverse order. They're saying somehow, even though I never met them, my ancestors, I have a responsibility for what they did. Just on its face, it makes no sense. Going further into that, it brings up a lot of questions. Let me bring up some questions, some really legitimate questions. And if you guys know anyone who's pro-reparations, I would love to talk about them, to talk about it with them. I would love to talk about these questions and just ask like in a really genuine way how they justify these things. Here's a few questions for people who are pro-reparations. How far back do we go with reparations? It seems that people have kind of nebulously chosen 250 years. But my question is, don't if you believe in reparations, why not go back a thousand years? Why not go back two, three thousand years? The problem with that is if you go back far enough, Everyone has probably had ancestors that's been enslaved or disenfranchised in some way, especially considering pretty much everyone was enslaved at one point. I mean, the amount of slaves, I'm, the amount of slaves today is way higher, but the amount like per capita of slaves is way higher back then. There was like one, like if you had a thousand people randomly, like 999 of them would have been in serfdom or slavery. One of them was not. That's one question to ask. The other question is, what about black Americans with no genealogy of African slaves? So I'm talking about people who live in San Francisco. They're black, they're African, and their ancestors were never enslaved. Maybe they were from Eastern Africa. <clears throat> they stayed in Eastern Africa. None of them came over. And then as soon as slavery was illegal, one of their ancestors came over. Do they still somehow get reparations? If that's true, then what are you actually repairing? Is it slavery or is it something deeper? Next question. What about Africans who had slaves themselves or if they brokered deals in, the, in West Africa and trafficked them to the United States? Most of the time when the Europeans were bringing people from West Africa over to the Americas, what was going on is there were Africans there that were brokering these deals. They were capturing their own people and selling them to Europeans. Are you telling me that those people, and then of course there were just slave owners that were black in America. Are you telling me that those people, the, the, the posterity of those people also somehow get 
for reparation, even though they benefited from slavery. Finally, the last question that I have that is probably the most moral, like the biggest moral quandary in all of this is what about Africans who, I guess I should say, let me say it this way. Are you saying that reparations eliminate the sin of slavery? All of us agree at this point that there was a serious sin committed when Africans were brought over in the slave trade and were enslaved. All of us agree that. So if we're repairing it, are we saying that this is atoning for the sin that America participated in during slavery? If not, if you're saying, no, we can't possibly atone for that, then what is the price? At what point, like, do, like, should we give 10 million to the people in San Francisco? 20 million? Like, why stop at 5 million? Shouldn't we really atone for the evil thing that we did? There is no answer. It's impossible. It's impossible to put a dollar amount to what was lost during slavery and the sin that was committed. Christians believe that the only person that can atone for that is Jesus Christ. That makes sense. If you believe in a higher power, that's the only way that you can atone for a sin as bad as slavery. And of course, we can repent for it if we participated in it. But if you didn't have slaves, you don't need to repent for it. It's not our job to repent for what our ancestors did. And so my point is, if you guys are trying to like level the playing field, like if you're trying to just say like, we want to do something to make it so slavery basically didn't happen, I don't think $5 million check is the answer. I think the, the answer comes from a higher power. Uh, and I don't even think they would be able to argue that $5 million is enough to somehow justify enslaving a race for hundreds of years. One thing that's important is that just to understand about my argument, like the reparations are silly on an economic level, for sure. It's going to destroy the, the, the economy in California and it would trickle over to the rest of the United States. But it's mostly just silly on a justice level. It does not do anyone any service to give them that kind of money. It's probably not going to increase the quality of their life. And it doesn't give justice to their ancestors who were enslaved. Many black Americans don't want reparations, as I brought up. And the most important thing about this is that, and this is really important for people to understand, this, this is constantly in my head all day when I'm thinking about the political atmosphere in America. Democrats have an impossible incentive system. Let me break it down. Because Democrats are the social welfare party, because they are the party of fixing poor people's problems, that's that's what they do, right? Social welfare is their thing. That is what they've marketed themselves to be. Because that is their shtick, they cannot do their job. If they do their job, then they're out of a job. Their incentive structure does not work. And, and that's really important to recognize from a party. Because I'm not, like I understand any party, they're in it for power. Republicans, Democrats, Green Party, Libertarians, all of them, they're in it for power. But here's the deal. Look at their incentive system. If everyone is helped out and all the poor people are good, all the social welfare is given out, no one's going to vote Democrat. Democrats need people like that. Therefore, they have no incentive to actually fix their problems. Over time, people who succeed in America tend to go Republican. So Democrats would be putting themselves out of business, essentially. They, they know this. 
like they're not dumb about this. They know it. Therefore, they will not do what helps the lower class. If they do, they will lose their voting base completely. They'll give small handouts, maybe even big handouts. And these handouts are not going to increase the quality of life of these people. We've seen it over and over again. The thing that will increase the quality of life of these people is taking responsibility for their lives and getting out of crap hole cities like San Francisco. That is what's going to increase the quality of their life. Reparations are pretty much the dumbest thing that could possibly happen in San Francisco. And I pray that it doesn't get brought up on a national scale. I really think it'll get shot dead in the water. No Republican will support it. And even like half the Democrats are kind of against it because they know it goes against their incentive structure. And it just sounds ridiculous on its face. Thank you so much for watching this episode of the Josh Carr Show. Everyone, remember, leave a comment down below. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, head over to my YouTube channel. Consider subscribing. You can watch the podcast and not just listen to it. If you're here on YouTube, consider subscribing if you haven't already and leave a like down below. Thanks.